Welcome and thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. And we're here to talk about the latest Kickstarter from Ron Randall. Ron Randall has already had three successful Kickstarter campaigns, bringing us brand new adventures, including Chapeltown, the Dark Star Zephyr, and Battlefields. But this next campaign is a little different. And the best person to tell us all about this new campaign is Ron Randall himself. Welcome back to Trekker Talk, Ron. Well, thank you, guys. It's so great to be back with you again. Uh, We're very happy to have you here again, talking about a brand new Kickstarter that's going to be a little different. So... Ron, after three successful campaigns bringing fans brand new stories, which has been so exciting, tell us what's different about this campaign. Well, what's different about this campaign is that those first three campaigns were ones where I was telling new trucker stories, advancing, you know, Mercy's, uh, Mercy's life and having it unfold with three brand new adventures. And that's been great. And that's what I'm still committed very much to doing. But at the same time, all the earlier stories, everything that I'd published through Dark Horse Comics originally before first turning to Kickstarter, all those stories are out of, are out of print now. And I'm not happy about that. I want new readers to be able to experience all those earlier stories, which you can still find available, you know, digitally online and stuff. But otherwise, you have to scurry through, you know, uh, used books or whatever. I want those books to be readily available, all those earlier stories. And since they've already been printed in a few other forms, and many of them have only been in black and white, I wanted to gather them all together and, and, and color them all and have them come out in a deluxe premium format hardcover book. So the next campaign is going to be that, getting all those earlier stories. It's sort of a rescue mission. We're going to rescue all those earlier stories and put them out as a big hardcover book in full color for the many for the first time ever and in a slightly oversized, really high quality format, a prestige pro- project. I really like your description of that about it being a rescue mission because it sounds very much like something Mercy would be up to. Uh (laughs) That's right, yeah. Well, I'm really excited to hear about all that as as a longtime fan. You know, I love those early adventures. I love the opportunity to revisit them. But I wonder, from your perspective, was it fun to go back and visit that earlier work from your series? Yeah, it really was. I mean, it's 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 a sort of a combination. It was really fun, and it was also you know um, somewhat humbling. <laughs> it's becoming a long time ago now that I did those first stories, and while I'm by and large, I'm very proud of the you know the level of craft and passion and everything that I put into those stories. Because as you as you guys well know, Trekker has always has always been where my heart's at from the first page I drew of it. But at the same time. I've learned, I hope, <laughs> quite a few things about that craft in the intervening years. So going back, it's easy for me to see at least a lot of a lot of blemishes, a lot of rough <laughs> rough patches, both in the art and sometimes in the in the story. So so there's that aspect of it too. But by and large, I was pretty pleased to see that I, I feel that the material holds up pretty well. Uh, having reread them recently for our podcast, I agree. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Well, I wonder if you could tell us something from those earlier stories that you may have forgotten about that was fun to be reminded of. Oh, boy. Well, you know, some of it's just, uh, in some cases, just the sheer, the sheer density of some of the, uh, some of the background stuff and the detail that I put in there, all of which I think works pretty well. But, but sometimes it was like, well, maybe I, maybe it gets a little bit too busy in, in places. But um, no, the, you know, the thing that surprised me the most about going back and work, working closely on these stories to to get them in color was how little of it I had forgotten, how much of it I remembered pretty vividly, mm. which to me wow. just means that 
pretty much 100% engaged with with all that. It was it was then and is now, you know, a very intense creative experience. So uh, there there wasn't like a, a character. Oh, I'd forgotten about this character. Now I pretty much remember the characters. A few background characters, you know, but uh, all the all the basic beats and stuff. I've lived with them. I lived with them for a long time now, and, th- and that stuff has been pretty clear to me all, all along. I can imagine there was probably a historian slash musician that you uh, got a chance to revisit there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was, uh, again, it's one that I remembered very, very well, but uh, it, it was fun to go back. I, I don't want to sound too, um, I don't know, too corny or whatever, about it, but in a way it was like going back and revisiting some favorite old haunts and some favorite old faces. So getting to uh, to revisit uh, Mercy's uh apartment neighbor of thompson richards was was pretty fun (laughs) (laughs) i wonder what he's up to now he's probably forlorn now that uh, mercy has been away for so long (laughs) well his life is probably a little bit less interesting than it was when when he was living in the same apartment building as a bounty hunter yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting to hear you talk about that and you mentioned earlier on about adding color to those stories and i wonder a couple of things you know what was it like to add color to those stories that you originally drew designed to be in black and white there in the early days of dark horse and mm-hmm. and then i also wonder is was it tempting to do anything else with the uh, stories when you were going back to them trying to create a director's cut type effect right so the first part of the question what was it like mostly it was intensely rewarding and fulfilling there were sometimes when if I would allow myself to think about it too much, you know, these are stories that have been around for like, you know, 25 years or something like that. And they're, I, I put an awful lot of work into them to make them black and white stories that stood up well. And I know a lot of people, including myself in many places anyway, remember them very fondly. So I felt that to go back and add color to them, in a way, there's a lot at stake there. I don't want to do it. I didn't want to do it wrong and, and in any way sort of detract from the experience. The idea, of course, is to make it additive, to make adding color just enriching and enhancing the the experience and, and you know adding more sense of atmosphere and s- sort of the the emotions that can be evoked in color somebody once described to me that um in in, in i wish i could remember where i heard it but that in in comic books color almost works the way a soundtrack does in a movie um mm-hmm. the you know the, the soundtrack can evoke so much emotion and can can change the mood of a scene and not always but in a lot of places color in comics can do the same thing you can warm a scene up you could cool it down you can make it very loud you can make it very bleak so while i tried to achieve as much of that in the black and white as i could going back after all the years and having a sense for those scenes and trying to find ways to have have the right colors to just deepen that 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 story moment even more was I, I just found it a, a, a completely engaging challenge. So uh, it was really, it was, it, it was a lot of fun by and large. And as the, I guess the second part of your question was, did I ever feel sort of <laughs> tempted to go and do the director's cut version of it? And I guess the short answer is no. Since some years ago, Dark Horse and I had worked together to put out an omnibus where we, where we collected these stories, but the, the ones that were black and white were kept in black and white by and large. It was printed in the Dark Horse omnibus, which is kind of a small utilitarian book it was a good collection i was very proud of that but now i wanted to do it this larger you know the the hardcover version but back then i had had that experience of uh, again saying ah i go back and look at the art and say well that's a clunky passage and i i could have drawn that figure better or those shadows should have fallen that way instead you know that sort of stuff (laughs) 
but mm-hmm. but uh, so I already had that. I already had that temptation one time, or that impulse, or whatever you want to call it. But no, I decided very very early on that no, that's sort of like that's the public record. Those books have been around. Those stories have been around for a long time now, and warts and all. That's the way many people fondly remember them. And I thought if I were to go in there and put my hands on everything and redraw that figure and redesign that spaceship or something. A, I thought it would just be distracting for those people who already remembered those stories and might, might even remember some of those warts and bumps with fondness. The way that I do some of the, I don't know what you'd call it, some of the patches in the first Star Wars movie that Lucas mm-hmm. went back into and digitally polished up. By and large, I didn't like the digital polishing up too much. And with Trekker, I felt uh, I, I want to get these stories back into print, but I, I'm, I, I'm more invested when I'm, when I'm doing that part of the job, telling the stories... I want to tell the new stories. These old stories, I put everything I had into them. So I want to add color to the whole collection so it has a unified look to it and feel to it, of course. But other than that, no, the, the black and white work, the writing, that has to stand or fall <laughs> words and all you know, on its own merits. Uh, I, I've tried to stick to my guns on that. The only thing I did do was that I used a lot of this process. Uh, th- this material is called Zipatone yes. back in the day where you would, on those early Trekker stories, I knew it was going to be in black and white originally, and without color to, <laughs> to sort of help, I, I wanted to use some of the, uh, this dot, the, these gray dot and line patterns that, that comic strip artists used to use on, on their black and white strips to you know, add gray values and sometimes patterns and textures to some of their work. So I used a lot of that on those early Trekker stories, mm-hmm. and in some places that had pulled up or shifted a few places uh, over mm-hmm. the years. And uh, when uh, when when Dark Horse and I prepared the files for their Dark Horse Omnibus, um, a lot of that was cleaned up. But even as I was working on it really closely doing the coloring for this version, there were a few places where I know some of the, I noticed just a few little dot patterns. We hadn't caught them for the Omnibus version of it. So I did tweak just a couple of dot dot pattern <laughs> things. But uh, considering the fact that I was working over 200 pages, just a few, a few panels here or there where I tweaked a little bit of the zipatones that had, you know, that had flawed a little bit. Uh, I felt that was an acceptable level of, tam- of tampering. <laughs> I, I agree completely, Ron. I'm so happy to hear everything you just described because, first off, your, your mention of the color being like a soundtrack to a film, I completely agree. That's actually was one of the things that I'd written in my notes was that it would be, you know, the the color doesn't take away, but it can add sort of like what a music soundtrack was. So that was just, when I heard you say that same thing, I was thinking, oh, it's, I'm glad that that wasn't an, an obscure thought on my part. But I, I have to be honest with you, Ron, those early stories are fabulous as they are. And uh, I knew that you had gone through that thought process once before. I'm glad to know that you you know, we're comfortable with that decision a second time because those stories really are great. And it's funny that you mentioned the zip tone because that was actually one of the things I was wondering about the most because I can remember that from, you know, the, the Trekker stories. And we know a couple of other people uh, who, you know, work in the industry and they always talk about, you know, that's that's one of the things that everybody used to use and now no one uses. And <laughs> it's interesting to hear what you had to do to sort of fix up a few of those spots. And that's certainly that's not uh, changing anything. That's just uh, enhancing it. Yeah, what's already there. Right. Just the minor, um, almost like the equivalent, I guess, some sort of a production flaw or, or error that's just being corrected, as opposed to going back and taking the, you know, the the actual material and and, and tampering with that. 
Yeah, I, I felt it, you know, and also I know that if I were to go back and sort of, you know, redraw one hand, that would be like, you know, sort of starting to peel the onion and, and uh -huh. I would spend months just going back and, you know, because I'm an artist. I, it, any of us, we can go back and we can worry our projects to death. We can go back and redraw a hand, a face, a figure, a spaceship, <laughs> a building, a cloud. We can just obsess over these things forever. And uh, while, I, while I am very invested in making Trekker as good as I can make it at the same time, I've got a lot more new Trekker stories to tell as well. And I've, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. So I've got to, um, and that's an artist, a commercial artist's dilemma is constantly that tug of war that goes on with you of you need to produce the work you want to produce the work i'm a storyteller above everything else i want to tell the next story i want to tell mercy's next journey you know but i want to tell it really well so mm. so mm. i i want to i want to take as much time as i can afford to take to make the pages look as well and the stories read as well as i possibly can given the fact that I've got another story that I have to get to also. So there's always a certain, that, that tug of war between, oh, wait, it's not good enough, and let's get on with it. That's, that's a battle that constantly rages in, in the artist. And if you can't find a way to make your peace with that, to, to call your shots, say, okay, this time I'm going to spend as much time as it takes to get that panel to have exactly the wallop I want it to have, even if it takes the rest of the day. You've got to be able to pick your battles and say, uh, sometimes... That's what you, you, you're just going to make that the priority. And other times you have to say, well, I got maybe 75% of what I wanted that panel to be, but I, I, I've got to move on now to the next one or the jobs or the stories don't get told. So that's always, <laughs> that's always the way of it. I, I think I can imagine now why the, why the uh, most recent news story was called Battlefields. I think you <laughs> had battles on your mind. <laughs> it's, it's always a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know that you do most of the writing, the drawing, and the coloring yourself. And I know that you've had some key help. And I wonder if you could tell us about who's helping you bring this book to readers. Well, I have one main collaborator on this book, I guess. And that is Caitlin Light, who is a talented uh, young artist in, in her own right. Uh, I know you guys are both familiar with her work, too. She does her own comics. She does a comic called Maiden in the Machine. And uh, she has... Um, I've been able to retain her services as my color assistant on, on all the new stories or all the, the new color we're adding to the existing stories to make this, uh, this complete journey book, you know, uh, consistent and unified in format. And, uh, the technical title that, that Caitlin's job is, how it's usually referred to is called the color flatting. And that is where the first step in the way comics are colored these days, which means digitally, the first step is to take each um, discrete area of a drawing and assign a color to that area. The flesh on a character's arm, the color for the character's hair, and the building in the background, and the, the plant. So, so a flatter just assigns basic colors to all those areas. And then the titled colorist, I guess you'd say, then goes through and decides if they want to tweak those colors, alter them, change them, add textures, add tones, and, and do the finishing work there. But that initial foundational step is just putting down flat color in every area of the page. It, it can save the finishing colorist a tremendous amount of, of time doing that. So Caitlin does that for me. But, but what Caitlin does is quite a bit more than just that. I also rely on Caitlin because she has an excellent eye for, for, for color, and, and she's a storyteller herself. 
So even her initial color choices are often ones that I'm thrilled to see, sometimes surprised by. She will she will have an idea for for the color of uh, you know uh, the color of a scene or some characters' costumes that I wouldn't have thought of. And I mean, sometimes they'll say, no, I, I really want that to be blue instead of green. But other times they'll say, oh, I wouldn't have thought of orange for there. I'm going with that. So I really feel that she's been a great collaborator and helps to um, keep bringing some fresh air into the into stories that way. So she's my primary um, collaborator on on uh, the, the complete journey since all those other, since every other aspect of that job, it's all pretty much finished. Well, that's great to learn a little bit more about. I enjoyed hearing that. And I really enjoyed too, because uh, like you were talking a little bit ago about consistency, you know, wanting these stories, you know, the coloring to bring some consistency with the new stories. And and you're right with Caitlin being there to sort of continue to work in that same color palette, then that helps bring that consistency. It also makes me think of, you know, when you were talking about the cleanup with the zip tone and such, and then just thinking of a common movie that I know we all like with Blade Runner. I remember mm -hmm. when you know, Ridley Scott went back and got to do his final cut of Blade Runner. And, uh, you know, the things he did were one thing is he used computers just to remove the the wires that could be seen lifting the spinners. You know, I think of that as right. being just like what you did with, you know, cleaning up the Zipatone. And then the other thing he did was add use uh, computers to add a unified color palette so that color was consistent throughout the movie you know different locations always had the same color palette and uh it sounds to me like you know you and here on the same page so that sounds great yeah it really does in fact i was sort of thinking that 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 an equivalent thing would be exactly what you just said there if a uh, if a director um went back to an old film and just did things to you know um you know warm up the colors or make them crisper or 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 pull them up to a to a level that felt a little bit more in keeping with their original vision isn't changing anything you know about the the narrative of the story or, or, or anything structural it's just it just polishing it up ever so slightly to to make the to make the experience that much a little bit richer <laughs> for the audience fabulous fabulous and and I think uh, ask let me ask this question is Jeremy Colwell working with you on the cover again for this book Oh yes, thank you for reminding me. Yes, of course, uh, <laughs> Jeremy. He's so uh, so much an ingrained part of that that I almost uh, that was an oversight on my part. Jeremy, who is you know having a pretty fabulous career as a as a very successful colorist at DC and uh, IDW and elsewhere, uh, I, I I tapped into Jeremy early on when when I first returned to doing Trekker with Dark Horse a number of years ago now and started working on new stories. I, I grabbed Jeremy right away as as a colorist whose sensibility was such. Such a good fit for Trekker. Uh, I was just very, very thrilled that he was uh, ready and able and willing to jump and available <laughs> to jump on board with Trekker then. And now that I'm uh, in a place where I'm doing the interior colors myself, I still am thrilled that I'm able to use Jeremy to to color the covers and occasional some occasionally some you know, poster images or special one time images for Trekker. So Jeremy brought a beautiful color sensibility to the um to the cover for this uh for this this new hardcover that's fantastic i know you do such a fabulous job with the colors i mean i you i know are you're very humble and you're always uh you know humbly sort of putting down your own colors but i always <laughs> just love the effects that you uh, bring to trekker with through your color and uh, but I, I know at the same time I know the valuable work that Caitlin gives uh, to the project, and I know I love always seeing Jeremy's color on the cover because 
I know how, you know, we've been lucky to get to know him too. And I, I know how much you two enjoy working together. And I know just his passion for Trekker and his, you know, affinity for working with you. So it's just nice that, you know, he gets to come in and be involved in that way. And I like that. And and plus, I absolutely love the cover to the Complete Journey Volume 1. I mean, this that image you've been, you know, teasing around, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's it's fabulous. So great, great. Well, thanks so much. The, the, the cover was, uh, I, what I was going for with it is it, it's in the basic element that's very similar to the cover of, of Trekker number one, and the first issue where Mercy's standing on that same rooftop, actually, and uh, it has the same sort of sky with all those sort of vibrant colors in the background behind her. But this cover was drawn now. And so I wanted, uh, it, it was, it sort of encapsulated for me what I, what I want this this hard this first hardcover book to do which is harken back to uh, and and be very and have great fidelity to that original experience of trekker from back in those early days of dark horse and yet at the same time it, i want it to also feel modern and contemporary and new and so i try to you know have echoes of that first the cover from trekker number one in this image and yet i want it to be a brand new very contemporary image at the same time Oh, well, you were successful. I do love it. And <laughs> it, it does bridge, you know, the old and the new, I think, very well. And just hearing you talk, talk about the book, I mean, I know it's going to be an oversized hardback. So in mm-hmm. that respects, it's a large book, but also just the amount of material. This sounds like it's going to be a huge book. So tell us a little bit about what supporters are going to get in the book. Right. Well, um, so yeah, the dimensions of it, it's going to be slightly, it's going to be larger than comic size. It's going to be uh, seven and a half by 11, which is the same size as, as several other of the um, you know, hardcover sort of deluxe uh, comics projects that have been come out. Uh, I know that the Images Saga collections, that's the same dimensions that they use. And it's going to be, this book is going to be over 470 pages. So it's going to be a pretty thick, substantial volume. I need that room in order to get all those all those out-of-print stories from Dark Horse back into print in one fell swoop. Uh, that was very important to me. So readers are going to get that. They're going to get over 200 of these pages have have never been in color before. That's what Caitlin and I have been working for the last few months <laughs> of, of getting all that color up on those pages so that so that the whole book will, will have as consistent a format throughout as, as it can have. Uh, Jeremy Caldwell did the coloring on pretty much the other stories. Jeremy and... Uh, uh, Moose Bauman, who is a colorist, uh, does a lot of work in comics as well, and he colored uh, one of the stories in the book. So that's pretty uh-huh. much it. And the idea is it to be cohesive, coherent, just a sparkling collection. Uh, I want it to be as sharp as possible. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see all these pages being printed on that slightly oversized format because, as I was saying earlier, in those stories, I was working really hard and almost <laughs> with a panic to try to make these things work in black and white. So there's a lot of textures and a lot of density of detail in the buildings and crowd scenes and all that stuff. And uh, having looked through some of the books like Saga that I mentioned before and seeing it at the slightly larger size, the art just has that much more presence and it just it invites you into the stories more, I feel. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having that be part of this experience with, with, with this book as well. So in addition to all the stories, there will be some backup material that will have some of the um, glimpses into the making of and some of the early images of, of my first drawings of, of the character as I was des- designing it. Some images that haven't have never appeared before, a um, couple of alternative covers and things like that. So a few new surprises as well as a lot of hopefully fresh looking and feeling stories. 
That's really exciting. I'm really going to look forward to seeing some of that older sort of behind the scenes material too. That's mm. exciting. I'm excited too. The oversize and that's a whole lot of pages in one volume. Really and I do want to. I do want to hasten to say that I was trying. I, I'm trying to be careful that I know that occasionally I have held in my hands books, uh, large hardcover collections that are sort of massive and important works, but they can become a little bit unwieldy. They can be just big and hard to carry around and bulky to even sit and read comfortably. And I'm very confident that people will find this size. You will feel bigger and more substantial, but it still. You can still hold it in your hands and page to it very comfortably. Um, I didn't want to make something that was such a massive tome that it would be, you know, it's almost um, unapproachable or something like that. I, I, th- these stories are meant to be experienced, to be read and enjoyed. And uh, I, I, want this, I want this book to be the best version of that experience, not merely some cool archival object. I, mm-hmm. If it works on both levels, then that's a big win. But I definitely want it to still be something that a reader can pick up and read and and get a great story reading experience out of it. That's the primary objective for a storyteller. That sounds great. I'd like to ask, what types of rewards can supporters expect when they back your campaign? Well, um, I, I am keeping this one a little bit more stripped down than the first three campaigns. I won't have as many things like, um, you know, I've had some uh, exclusive prints available at the other campaigns and things like that. So the, the main rewards here will be, um, I'm doing one, there is going to be a level at which you can pledge, and there will be a, a special exclusive print that it's a printing term called tipped in. And that's a print where, for instance, if you have a textbook or a prose book, you can have uh, a separate plate added into that that's actually bound in with a book um, mm-hmm. on a different type of paper. And I'm going to, I've, I've done an, a special watercolor piece done exclusively for this volume that will be available as a tipped in print. So that's a, a special deluxe level, and that will be a limited number that will be signed and numbered by me. So that will be one of the fun rewards. As with the other campaigns, I will be offering commissions. People can get uh, either black and white or full-color commissions from me, a character of their choice, that sort of thing. And most of the other rewards I'm going to ha- have are, are going to be the stretch goals, things to do to enhance, enhance the book, embossing it, adding a ribbon bookmarker to the book, that sort of things to make, uh, that makes hardcovers even more fun and special events. Oh, nice. and one other one other reward I am going to offer on this campaign, I'm going to have a few um, uh, sort of comic-making consulting sessions available where people could have a, a one-hour conversation with me about the comic-making process. Uh, I offer tips on storytelling, writing, art, whatever. So um, that's another reward. That's something I haven't offered before, but I uh, thought I'd make that, a, make that an offer and see if anybody's interested. <laughs> Oh, that sounds neat. I can think of somebody who would be interested in that. (laughs) Me too. We know somebody. Yeah. (laughs) So, Ron, tell us when this new campaign starts and how long it runs. Just give our listeners the details on that. All right. Well, the uh, campaign is going to launch on January 21st, Tuesday morning. We'll kick it off at 11 a.m. Pacific, and it runs through till February 20th. So a month long. I'm hoping to hit the ground running, as they say. Well, I know your previous three campaigns have, so I am crossing my fingers that this one will as well. well thanks so much. I'm, I'm very excited about it, it, it because it's you know it's it's going to be for such a substantial substantial project, and at the same time, a little bit. Oh boy, it's a, it's a bigger it's a bigger stretch in some ways. You know, by now I've as you said I've had three 
Kickstarters that had gone very well, and I've been incredibly gratified at that. But uh, there's a little bit of a feeling of, you know, unknown territory. (laughs) See see how it goes. (laughs) It's a different campaign, so I can understand that. You know, the other three campaigns were very much about getting a new trade paperback out that was, you know, around the same length, the same size, the same price range. And this one's different, so I can understand. Yeah, it's a little bit of an unknown. But thinking about that, so this book, you know, you've let us know that this book will bring back all of the Trekker that's currently out of print back in print. But I know that you also have an Etsy store out there for those who missed out on the three previous campaigns where you brought new stories. So tell us a little bit about your Etsy store and what else fans can find there. Oh, thank you. That's a good point. Yes. So the Etsy store, as you say, it I, I've done the three um, Kickstarter volumes of Trekker. Those are all available on the Etsy store as are various prints of the Trekker and the, the world of Mercy St. Clair. A few other uh, collections that of, of projects that I've done for other publishers in the past, DC and Marvel, and some original art too, pages of my original art. So it's a sort of a, a way to browse through <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of past archival material from my from my career at this point. And I should also mention though that uh, and I forgot to mention that when, when Ruth was asking about rewards, I will also make those three previous kickstarted trekker trade paperbacks available at reward levels for this new book so you can uh, you can get all that stuff and and then you could have all the trekker material in one in one quick uh, you know kickstarter campaign pledge convenient <laughs> yes <laughs> well i know you continue to post a new page of trekker on your patreon site every mm-hmm. week so your followers know that new stories are still being told and I noticed that this book coming out is called The Complete Journey, Volume 1. So I want to ask, do you plan to collect future stories into other hardback books like this? Uh, yes, if the, as long as the, uh, the, the, the Kickstarter fates allow. Uh, <laughs> yes, this, I, I was very intentional in titling this Volume 1. This book will, as I say, contain all the work that originally came out through Dark Horse, but it will not contain the the three books that I've done on Kickstarter since those would be earmarked for volume two along with the, the next tale or two. And then there would be, you know, a volume three following that. So I've, I've told a lot of mercy St. Clair's journey, but there is a lot more to tell. And ultimately if, if, uh, if I have my way that will come out as a series of trade paperbacks supported through Kickstarters and then collected into these, uh, these deluxe hardcover volumes for the sort of definitive, a library shelf <laughs> versions of same. So uh, uh, plenty of uh, plenty of work to do on the new Trekker story. In fact, right now I have finished all the coloring on the those stories for the complete journey, and uh, I'm I'm hard at work on the next new story uh, for the campaign that will happen after this. Which I want to mention just just to reassure people that while I've uh, I feel it's important to take this pause to collect those out of print stories, as I say, rescue them. I'm still very invested in continuing. To, to unfold Mercy's new stories as well. So, yes, plenty more Trekker in the future. Yeah, I, I'm excited about that. Anyone who's been reading the new books and got to Battlefield sort of know, uh, wow, things are really just now heating up. So there's a lot of <laughs> stories still to tell. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny to say that about a book that's, you know, where a series that's, you know, over <laughs> close to 500 pages already in print. And I, I, I hope that each of, the, each of those stories has been... Um, a fun, worthwhile adventure for readers to experience. But in some ways, 
you know, if, if I've done this series right, there really should be that sort of cumulative effect. And you should say, oh, now it's when it's getting good. And then hopefully, you know, a story or two down the road, people say, oh, we've, we've stepped up to a different level. And now it's when it's really getting good. I mean, obviously, that's what every storyteller wants is you want the next one to be the, oh, that's the, that's the best that's the best mm-hmm. one yet, obviously. Uh, um, so um, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I, I kind of feel the same way, same way myself that some of the, um, I guess I'd say some of the seeds that I planted, the foundation that I tried to lay in the earlier stories, I wanted to make them pay off as you know individual cool, fun action adventure stories. But I also wanted to be laying at the same time, laying the groundwork for for the story to become the story, the overall story of her life. And journey to become richer and more full as time goes on so that the stories gain in, in, in resonance and weight and sort of hopefully some sense of emotional depth and, and what's at stake as we go on. And uh, that sense of things gradually building and, and, and each story reaches its own climax, but the overall series crescendo is still, you know, a ways down the road. And I want that, that sense of build to grow as, as best as I can throughout the, and be sustained throughout the entire length of the series. That's uh, that's the bit. That's the big goal. <laughs> well, you you do a great job with that. I think I shared with you because you know I, I I take the bus back and forth to work, and I think I shared with you that I I had to withhold from getting up on the bus and jumping up and down in excitement over something that happened in battlefields that I I never imagined seeing. And and you're really good at keeping a secret because you've heard me talk about something related to this. I can't even say anything more than that, or somebody <laughs> might guess. And it's and you've never let on at all. <laughs> so, well, um, well, I um I don't like uh, spoilers. I really don't. Um. So um. And I, I try to I, I try to have a few of those twists and turns in this in the in the books. And uh, I want them to catch readers. Uh, I, I want reader to, readers to be as as exhilarated by that as I was when I came up with the idea for that would be really cool. And what a fun surprise it is for me when it maybe first dawns on me. And I want the I want the I don't want to be the only person to have that sense of surprise. So I really do try to guard the the twists and turns as jealously as I can. It's easy when it's just one person doing it. If I'm an entire film studio and a cast and crew of actors and directors and you know whatever. Those little things can slip and get out to the public early on. But with Trekker, it's, it's pretty much me that has to swear myself to secrecy, and then I should be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I know we, we've been going on now for a little while, and I don't want to keep you any later. So before <laughs> we wrap up, let's turn our attention back to the Kickstarter. So please just take another moment to remind everyone about where they can find the campaign and when they can find the campaign. So everybody goes there on day one and helps you get off to a great start. Oh, I like that idea, Darren. Uh, so the, uh, the, the campaign launches on January 21st. Um, you'll be able to go to trekkerkickstarter.com. That's just all lowercase trekkerkickstarter.com. That's, I use that same URL for all of my campaigns, whatever the, the current one is, that's right there. And it runs January 21st. And if you can jump on in that first day or two, it's tremendously helpful. Uh, and it will run through September 20th. I mean, September, Fe- February, February 20th. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have done another Kickstarter would, by September. That would, that would be a very long campaign. <laughs> I don't think I could survive. Yeah. <laughs> Exhausting. Well, thank you very much, Ron, for taking time to speak with us. And I'll ask if there's anything else you want to say to your fans before we go. She, you know, the only thing that occurs to me to say is what I, what I always feel like saying to fans, and that just how, 
you know how how overwhelming it is to know that there are people out there who who um who have embraced the the character of Mercy St. Clair and the world of Trekker as they have. You know, I do everything I can to make these stories fun, evocative, and and to a to a to a degree, you know, e- emotionally meaningful. <laughs> And uh, to, to know that that stuff connects and resonates with readers and that they want to keep coming back for more, it's just, uh, it's just immensely fulfilling and satisfying. So uh, for, for readers who, who have been supporting me, thank you so much. And uh, if we can turn a few more people onto it, then that's just a thrill for me as well. So, and thank you too for, for all that you do to help, help wave the Trekker flag <laughs> for one and all. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Ron, and best of luck with this Kickstarter and the next one. Thanks so much. Next up is Trekker Transmissions, where we share the listener feedback we've received since last time. First, we want to thank Ron for taking the time for that wonderful conversation. And we want to thank everyone for their efforts to promote the new Kickstarter. And we want to thank all of you for your feedback, which adds so much to the show. So a big thank you to everyone who took the time to write or get in touch through social media. Brian Mulvey wrote about the last episode saying, I loved your Battlefields interview with Ron, as you always ask excellent questions and have a real knack for making it super interesting and fun. Crikey, I hope he blasts past the 500 supporter number. Thank you, Brian. And we're happy to report Ron passed that 500 mark and went on to have over 600 backers at the end of the previous campaign. John Baker from 3 If By Space wrote, Just finished listening and truly enjoyed the interview with Ron Randall. A great reminder of the Kickstarter, but perhaps a greater reminder of what makes Ron Randall's work and the passionate supporters around him so impressive. There's a family feel to this whole endeavor and those who want to be involved with it, which is something that I feel is somewhat unique. Thanks for your passion and joy in Ron's work and sharing it with us. Ron, Thanks for your passion and joy in creating Trekker and sharing it with us. Your family loves to see it all come together. Trekker supporter Green Lantern HG shared his thoughts, writing, From the beginning, I know it's going to be a great episode. It could only get better if Ron Randall himself is on the episode. Wait, what? He's there? Great episode. Fantastic interview. Thank you. Fellow podcaster Randy Andrews from Soundtrack Alley let us know he picked up a commission of Mercy St. Clair by J. Lynn Smith at O'Comicon. It's a beauty. Thanks for sharing that image with us, Randy. We were fortunate to meet Kenneth Corey at a recent convention. He's a fan of Trekker from the early days, and we learned he was incredibly lucky to come across a Trekker find years ago, and he sent us photos and this note. Attached is an original cover of Trekker number 6. I thought it was neat because it was unused and it had the acetate with the logo and issue number. Normally, you don't see that when purchasing a cover. It's interesting to see how much or little detail is put into the upper part of the cover. I hope you enjoy these glimpses of rarely seen original Trekker art. I purchased them in the late 80s or early 90s. Trekker Talk listeners will recall that Trekker number 6 is the only issue published without a Ron Randall cover. Instead, that issue has a cover by Dave Dorman, who is known for his work on Batman and Star Wars. And it's all thanks to Kenneth Corey that we get to see this amazing unused version. That's an awesome treasure, Ken. And since the last episode, we are happy to share that Ron Randall was honored with a Ringo Award nomination for Best Inker for the Trekker book Chapel Town. The Micro Ringo Comic Book Industry Awards celebrates the creativity, skill, and fun of comics. These Ringo Awards recognize outstanding achievements in multiple categories and are the only industry awards nominated by both fans and pros. The awards ceremony is held at Baltimore Comic Con. 
We're fortunate that it's within driving distance for us, so we were able to attend the awards ceremony where we were able to spend some time with Ron. And it was great to see his name and the Trekker logo on screen in that large room in front of all those industry professionals. Our friend and fellow Trekker fan, Austin Appleby, was also at the awards show to cheer for Ron. It was a great evening with entertaining presenters and comic book creators Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Luis Simonson received major awards during the event. We were lucky to sit at the same table with our friend David Gallagher. He and Steve Ellis were nominated for Ringo Awards for their great series, The Only Living Boy. That book is excellent and is filled with fun adventure in the style of Johnny Quest. We definitely recommend it. And at the table beside us was our friend Rachel Ordway and her father, Jerry Ordway. It's always fun to see Rachel at a con. We always enjoy a chance to chat with her. And we saw so many wonderful friends that weekend, which is what makes going to a convention so special. We won't name names because I know we'll forget someone and then we'll feel terrible. But thanks to everyone for your friendship. We really appreciate spending time with all of you. We want to extend our Trekker thanks to everyone who supported us on social media since the last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we sincerely appreciate all of your support. Before we start, we want to say, if we miss a name, please let us know and we'll correct it in the next episode. Also, please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just email us and let us know and we'll correct it the next time as well. Aaron Henley, Anthony Klosowski, Austin Appleby, Bill Beer of the Batpod, Billy Hogan of the Superman Fad Podcast, Brian Ng, Brian Mulvey, Carlos Raphael, Chris of the Bat Books for Beginners and the Professor Frenzy Show, Clinton Robson of the Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast, Comics in the Golden Age, Creator Talks with Christopher Calloway, Cullen Stapleton, Dean Schaefer, Dean Warren, Derek William Crabb of the Fan Holes Podcast and History of Comics on Film, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Ed and Terry Moore from Till Productions, Edward Kinsey, Eric Rivera, Fabian Esparza, Frank Johnson, Gary Rogers, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and Anime Freaks, Jerry Green of The Professor Frenzy Show and Bat Books for Beginners, Glenn Grant Mueller, Green Lantern HG, Greg Espinoza, Ivan Henley, James Longstreth, Jeff Messer of The Mike Grell Page and Issues With, Colorist Jerry McColwell, Joe Crawford of the blog for the non-discerning reader. John Baker of Three If by Space. John Munt. Johnny Davis. Karen Williams of the Sweet Between the Pages blog. Katie Artistry of After the Shifting. Artist Ken Solo. Carrie Crimson. Larry Lambert. Marcus Martin. The Marvel Universe Online. Michael Chen. Mike Garvey of Waiting for Doom and the DCOCD podcast. Oscar Rubio. Artist Pablo Ventura. Paul Hicks of Waiting for Doom and the DCOCD podcast. Peter McCafferty, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley and the Gen 13 Files. Ron and Lynn Randall. Sayel's Quest. Scott E.S. Weldon of Weldon Studios. Scott Mix. Sean Ross of Pulp to Pixel and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Sean Strawbridge. Stephen Ross. Swagcat Aaron. Tim Price. Vic Sage of the Retroist and Radio Memories Podcast, Artist Warren Montgomery of Will Lil Comics, Waylon Cassa, Wayne Hall, Wendy Freeman of the podcast Double Page Spread, William Payne, and Zeb Oswald. Thank you all, and we'll be right back after we play a couple of promos for other podcasts that you might enjoy. Hey everybody, Clinton Robinson here. 
I recently attempted to sneak into the Longbox Crusade headquarters basement to watch some of the Albrecht Brothers action movies while the crew was out at the Saturday matinee theater. Too bad I had a little mishap and got stuck down here with no movies to boot. However, there are pieces of Pat's old podcasting equipment and excellent Wi-Fi service. So I decided to pass the time watching online fan films and talking about them. What, you don't know what a fan film is? Well, there are these non-theatrical movies that people post online of already established characters and settings. Hey, hey, hey now. Just wait and see. Save all judgment for what happens when you listen to Fan Film Fridays, a new podcast found on the Longbox Crusade podcast feed. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. If you want to contact us directly or have something you would like to have read on the show, then please send an email to trekkertalk at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using the name trekkertalk. And you can visit our website for links to all of our social media pages. And that web address is trekkertalk.com. Thank you, Charlotte and Catherine, of the excellent Mark's Mess podcast for that clip. You can listen to our show through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. And all of our episodes are always available at trekkertalk.com and at radadventuresnetwork.com. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Network. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Trekker Talk, as well as Xenozoic Xenophiles about the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Remember, at trekocomic.com, you'll find a new page of material every Monday, as well as links to all of the ways you can find Ron Randall. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Trekker Talk. Trekker Talk is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, visit comicspodcast.com. We are not affiliated with Dark Horse Comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Royalty Free Music, Movies, and Videos from the Royalty Free Music Club. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. (laughs) 